Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne and coming up on this week's show, with no Premier League action to worry about, we're going to be diving into the mailbag for a very special Ask Us Anything episode. We've had questions sent in via Twitter and The Athletic app and we'll be answering as many as we can. Uh, we're going to be covering all the pressing issues on Barrack Road, uh, as well as a little bit of nostalgia, and we'll address some of the many questions that I've categorised under the heading silly bollocks that have came in over the last couple of days. But first of all, before we empty our bulging sack all over this podcast, I'd like to welcome back Mr. George Culkin and say hello again to Mr. Chris Woff. How are we doing, chaps? George, how are you? Are you OK? Yes, all good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. It's uh, It's been a, a, a sad week not having you on last week, mate, but it's nice to have you back. And I must say what a fantastic job uh, Michael Walker did in your absence. Uh, Chris, how's tricks? Uh, not too bad, thank you. I had a weird experience. I thought I was going to be late for the podcast because I had someone knock on the door and ask me if I wanted my windowsills painting, which is never something I've... Was <laughs> that a euphemism? <laughs> That's freaky because I'm actually sitting in my bedroom doing this podcast for once as opposed to in my little office because my windowsills are being windowsills are being painted that's not true is that real it is yeah although it's a bit more convoluted than that they've had to like take the whole windows out to do it but i mean i i couldn't do this in my office because my windowsill was being painted i mean that's that that's that's just a ridiculous coincidence isn't it that's that's madness i have no windowsill related news lads unfortunately but there you go but the two of you have shared that that's marvelous Let's face it, the podcast can only get funnier from this point. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Uh, Well, before we crack on uh, and we go into the mailbag, just to let you know, uh, you can currently subscribe to The Athletic UK right now for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. Uh, You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as free ad versions of all of our podcasts. Of course, the big news with Newcastle this week was Dwight Gale's contract being renewed. Uh, Chris, I believe you've written a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it was actually David Ornstein, uh, my athletic colleague, who broke this story in his column uh, on The Athletic on Monday, explaining that, um, yeah, Dwight Gale has signed a new three-year contract, or is signing a new three-year contract uh, on reduced terms. And so I've looked at exactly why, because it's come as a little bit of surprise. I think a lot of people and relate to Newcastle, yeah. given his lack of football, given the fact that um, him and Steve Bruce maybe haven't seen eye to eye so much. And also Newcastle's policy in the past have not really given sort of beyond 12 months to players who are 30 and above, but that started to change. And uh, Yeah, so basically there's an article explaining what this tells us more than just about Dwight Gale's situation, but what this tells us about what Newcastle are trying to do at the moment and sort of their situation. And basically that this is almost... Uh, purgatory being prolonged because it's again trying to defer long-term decisions the squad really needs to be overhauled but Newcastle don't want to spend too much money this summer they're going to have limited funds and replacing Dwight Gale is going to be 10 million pounds plus so if you can keep him as a backup striker then it makes sense in that sense uh, okay, good stuff, Chris. Um, well, uh, also have to give a quick shout out to Michael Walker and uh, Tim Spears for their excellent work on the Newcastle United feed on the app as well. Lovely stuff. Check that out. Michael's piece is particularly interesting because sort of Michael's piece looks at how next year is going to be Newcastle's 130th anniversary and 2027 is going to be 100 years since Newcastle won the league. And basically he he looks at things almost as, as a bit more long-term. And is there a project for Newcastle? Is there, quote-unquote, Project 2027, like you would have uh, Project 
for a medal at, at Rio Olympics or anything. Like that. Is there at anyone in Newcastle saying we need to try and win something by that stage? And and it was it was interesting to look at that because history is important, and and when we could just get bogged down in the Mike Ashley era in the last fourteen years, but Newcastle United's history is nearly one hundred and thirty years, and there there are some proud history. And basically, I think it's a it's a very interesting piece, and it's worth a read. Lovely stuff. Well, there you go. Get yourself onto theathletic.com forward slash pod on the time to take advantage of the 40% discount. Uh, that's athletic.com, theathletic.com, should I say, forward slash pod on the time. Can't even get the name of the website right today. Never mind. Uh, mailbag questions then, lads. Here we go. We've had a massive response uh, via the Athletic app and on Twitter as well. We've picked out the best ones uh, to answer. Uh, thank you to everyone who sent in questions uh, and apologies to those that we've had to miss out. There's been so many questions. Uh, we've been trolling through them and looking for the ones that are the most interesting. We've also, uh, there's been quite a lot of duplicates as well. So we've cut out some of those ones. So it, we might not ask your question, but we might ask one very similar to your question. Uh, so there we go. If we're sitting comfortably, chaps, let's begin. So we're going to break these down into three categories. We've got current goings on, shenanigans. Um, we're going to have a little bit of nostalgia. And then, of course, a bit of silly bollocks at the end. Um, the first one, actually, the first two are quite similar. Tom Y and Martin D. Uh, what do you think the squad will look like next season if we go down uh, after the likes of Wilson uh Almiron and some maximum could go. Do you think Ashley will invest as in 2016 with a view to getting promoted again and protecting the potential sale price? Or is he more likely to just let us drift and hope to cut his losses? Chris, I'll go to you first for that. I mean, this is, a, this is a hard question to answer because we don't know how Mike Ashley is looking at the future. And at the moment, Newcastle will say they are fourth bottom. They think they're not going to go down. Um, but the players you mentioned there, I would I would be shocked if Ansel Maximum would play a season in the championship. Um, Miguel Almiron as well would be a surprise. I mean, he, he made some comments, interesting comments on international duty this week when he talked about he wanted to play for a team with, with more fight, which I think uh, took a few people by surprise. Wilson, not so sure. He left Bournemouth when he got relegated last season. I'm sure they would be interested in him, but I think that Newcastle would try to keep hold of, of someone like him. In terms of whether Ashley would invest as in 2016, I honestly, I honestly can't answer that question. I'm afraid, in terms of with any knowledge whatsoever, because the club haven't communicated that. As I say, they still think that they're going to survive. Mike Ashley did do that in in 2016, whereas in 2008-9 he kept the same squad, but it wasn't so much he invested. He didn't really put that much money into bringing them back up. They didn't really sign anyone until uh, Danny Simpson came in on loan. They didn't really sign anyone else. So. If he wants to protect his investment, I'd be surprised if he didn't at least invest some. But given the financial issues that Newcastle have had over the course of the last year, given the amount of money they've lost because of games being played behind closed doors, I, I don't see there being a similar sort of investment to 2016. They might spend money, but I don't think it will be on the same sort of level as that. George, what do you think about this? I mean, Newcastle uh, are in a position now where, where relegation is it's a, a distinct possibility. Is Ashley likely to, to try and keep the ship afloat this time if, if Newcastle go down? Yeah, I mean, the problem with these questions is that there's, you know, there's too much specu speculativeness uh, called for, which is sort of makes it very tricky to answer because it's like, if this happens, if that, if that, if that. And I, I think I agree with Chris. I don't think they're sort of looking at relegation as... Um, as what's going to happen. So you're asking us to predict the future and you can't predict the present with Ashley's Newcastle, <laughs> let, alone, true. let alone anything else. I mean, all I'll say is that, um, you know, my fear is that when you look at Ashley in the past is that he probably thinks that he's got relegation cracked. I mean, I've said that before, that, you know, that relegation means one season in the championship because that's how it's been on the two previous occasions they've gone down and history rewrites itself um, because... You know, it's it feels like you know that both those seasons were processions, and they weren't. They were very they were very difficult for lots of different reasons. Albeit Newcastle went up as champions as both. That would be my fear about relegation. Um, but it's there are too many ifs involved in that question. I just don't think it's something that they're looking at seriously yet. I don't think that's the way they. I don't think that's the way they worked. There are different ways of doing it. You know, you don't have to spend. You know, Benitez made the makes the point repeatedly that they made a big profit in the championship last last time, and they did. But of course, they also lost a lot of money from not being in the Premier League. Um, but if you 
you know, if you if you sort of hold your investment high or you hold your wages high and come back up, that's the way that's the way that they've done it in the past. And my 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 guess is that they would try and do it the same, but I just don't think that's a serious conversation they're having at the moment. It's slightly different to 2016 as well, is that Newcastle sold to Sokol and Wijnaldum. That's where the majority of their money came from. Now you can argue that, that Alan Saint-Maxima, in theory, could raise a fair amount of money, same with Miguel Almiron. But the world has changed in the last five years. As I've said, it's not just Newcastle being affected financially. So the clubs out there won't want to be paying the same sort of money as Newcastle got then. So in terms of getting money to reinvest in the squad as Newcastle did then, unfortunately, it's going to be a far more difficult landscape. So one of the uh, one of the things that that weaves its its way through this and and is you know is is part of the story here is the takeover of course, um, and Ian R has asked the only thing that matters when is there likely to be any kind of update on the takeover, and he's asked if we three can give our opinion yes or no on whether the deal will go through. Um, I mean opinions are difficult on the way this is concerned, but George, I'll come to you on this. What when is the no, I'm not going to do. I won't do that um, because I don't think that's helpful. I think what I learned last year was that giving sort of personal opinions about whether I think something will happen or not becomes a story in its own right, and I don't want to do that again. I'm not going to get sucked into doing that. Um, at the moment, it doesn't feel close. Um, but again, Ian, I can't. You know, when is there likely to be a takeover update? I mean, who knows? I mean, the 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 updates. The only recent updates have come via the club and Ashley because uh, they're the ones in control at the moment because they're um, you know they're in charge of the arbitration proceedings. Um, so um, I would expect it to come from there probably. Um, I mean, I suppose uh, there's a chance that things could come to the head to us to a certain extent if if and when Newcastle get relegated. But um, I mean, again it's it's sort of you know that's asking that's asking a question that that kind of can't be answered i'm afraid really uh well let's move on from the takeover then neil w uh on the app chris he's asked how many thousands of fans do you estimate uh have turned their back on newcastle after lockdown and steve bruce if full fan access was granted tomorrow do you think we'd be likely to see a full st james's park i don't think so no um for a start newcastle were already ten thousand, roughly down in the season uh, in the last season and obviously that to give away 10,000 part season tickets anecdotally I've heard from a fair few people who said that they have either cancelled season ticket for financial reasons over the course of last year and wouldn't wouldn't go back or are thinking about doing so if Steve Bruce is still going to be there again it's hard to say an exact number but the Chronicle did a big sort of survey over the course of the last week and there seemed to be I think it was about 20% of respondents on there said that they are considering not not going back if uh, if Steve Bruce is still in charge. So um, I think that goes beyond just Steve Bruce. So I think it's also Mike Ashley and the situation in Newcastle and in general, and also maybe people have seen over the course of the last year. I was speaking to someone uh, in around the club actually the other day. And it was interesting because they were chatting about one of the concerns is that part of reason that people have gone to, to the ground for so long is it, it's habitual. It's what you do every every fortnight. It's what people have done. And some people who haven't wanted to give up previously is because that, that's what they've done since they were 10 years old or whatever. And so they like to see their friends. They like to go. Whereas over the course of the last year, particularly last summer when things start to open up, over the course of the next few months, if things start to open up, people may find different hobbies. They may find different things to do on a Saturday and they may just think, I won't go back. So it's hard to put an exact number on it, but I'd be shocked to think that even given the desire for fans to be back in stadia, I'd be shocked if it was a full St. James's Park first game back when you can have a full amount of fans if Steve Bruce is still in charge and if Mike Ashley is still owner. I think it would be, it's a prospect which I, I can't really picture at the moment, unfortunately. Put that question a different way. So if 10,000 people had walked away last season, how many people will be encouraged to, to walk back um, after the events of the last 18 months? You know, so or the last year, you would have to think not many, wouldn't you? You would, you would think there wouldn't be many of those ten thousand will be coming back. There are two ways of looking at it. There's, you know, a way of looking at it is that if and when we get back to some sort of, you know, normality, whatever that is now, um, is there that massive wave of excitement about um, going together and you know doing all those things that we used to do, or as Chris says, have we fallen out of the habit of it? The second thing is. Can we get back into St James's or any other stadium at anywhere near full capacity, or does it is it going to have to be a reduced capacity for health reasons? For and you know there will be some people 
who'll be fearful of going back, you know, because yeah, of course, you know, yeah. I'm, I, I did a piece, I did a piece not that long ago about this whole idea about the, you know, about the idea of the ritual of match day. And I spoke to, you know, Bill, Bill Corcoran, for, um, who's obviously heavily involved in the, in the food bank and also the Townside Irish Centre. And, you know, that idea of, you know, the one thing that you can do without, I mean, if you're going into Newcastle city centre, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, you're probably going shopping. You might work there. You might do, you know, this or that. The football is a plays a huge part in that. So does the pub. So does all that thing, but it's the least important thing that you do. Um, so that's a big question for all of football that we just don't know the answer to. And again, that breaking of habit is, is, is also the kind of great unknown that we, you know, we turn up, we turn up regardless. That had already been broken a little bit um, last season. Has it been broken more? I guess for a lot of people, it might have. The other thing we've got to remember as well, George, with all of this is is not only is there people who won't want to go back because of the way things are with the club, but there's also people who just can't go back because of financial difficulties or, you know, changing their circumstances and jobs and stuff like that. For sure. There's been a lot of people who've been, um, you know, who've, who've, who've suffered financially over the last year uh, yeah. and, and and they would love to be able to go back, but maybe can't afford to keep that season ticket or can't afford to, to, to be spending, you know, 50, 60 quid every other weekend on a, on a going to the pub or going to the game or whatever. So there's another section of fans who might, who might now be sort of uh, excluded from football due to, due to financial reasons. You know, we've got, we've got to bear that in mind. Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Let's move on then. Uh, Daryl Mitchell um, has asked. Well, he started with the classic uh, Danny Baker Five Live question of tomato ketchup or brown sauce on your bacon sandwich. Um, I shall answer this first, and I shall say tomato ketchup on bacon uh, and sausage uh, with brown sauce. What do you think, Chris? Um, I actually quite like no sauce. I mean, I like both sauces, oh, but I'm going to go with controversial and go neither. Yeah. No, I think that is the that is the third option in the Danny Baker. It's brown sauce, red sauce, or no sauce at all. That's what you have to guess. Um, but it's sort of typical that Chris would would sort of go that go that route. <clears throat> uh, it is. It has to be brown on bacon. I'm sorry, it just does. Um, I, I, Why? It just does. Is that your answer? Yeah, if it's HP, <laughs> and it has to be, if it's brown sauce, it has to be HP sauce, because if it was good enough for Harold Wilson, it's good enough for me. Fair enough, I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, Daryl Mitchell's uh, follow-up to this, uh, which is not really a follow-up, it's just another question, I suppose. Um, number two, uh, is the award of a new contract to Dwight Gale a sign that the club accepts that we are being relegated? Uh, why reward Gale now, but not Rondon two years ago? Chris, let's go to you for this, because you've written a piece on this recent, recently. Yeah, I mean, that I can refer you to that piece as well for, for more in-depth explanation than what I'm just about to say on this. But my answer to that would be no. I know that a lot of fans speculated this yesterday and there was various pieces. I think the Marg had put a piece out basically saying this this is Newcastle accepting relegation. 
Newcastle internally still think that, that that they can and will survive. I mean, they are still fourth bottom as much as negative as, and, and bad things are. They, they are still in a position where they're going to survive. This isn't the reason that the contract has been awarded is not because of that. If Newcastle go down, then Dwight Gale signing a new contract will be of benefit to them in the championship because he is a proven marksman there. And if, if Callum Wilson was to go, then he would be the, the obvious replacement there. But no, it's more for the reasons, as I said earlier when I explained about the piece, it's because... If, if Dwight Gale leaves this summer, even a, an average backup striker is £10 million plus. And so to get someone of the equivalence of Dwight Gale and have made someone better will be a large proportion of, a, of, a, of an already restricted budget Newcastle have this summer. And so it's about uh, expediency, really. It's, it's about the fact that, that Newcastle are just trying to be pragmatic as they can in the situation they are. And it, it isn't ambitious in any way, shape or form. It, it's quite unimaginative in many ways, but equally in some ways it feels necessary as while Mike Ashley is still in charge and, and the finances are as they are. You can make the argument that, you know, if Newcastle do get relegated, then at least having someone like Dwight Gale around would give them a ready-made sort of solution. My my sort of query to it is that he's been involved so, you know, to such a limited extent this season and is, has been, you know, has been disaffected by that. Um, and, you know, what wh- what is the sort of thinking there? Um, I mean, the fact he signed um, or is signing suggests that he's happy to do that. So he's not being kept against his will, but, but um, he hasn't been, you know, he hasn't been happy about not playing and, um so I find the t- that you know the timing is kind of peculiar in that sense, and I do think it's as Chris said. I'm, I, I mean, I'm sort of wonder how much Steve Bruce is involved in this decision because if he's not been playing under Steve Bruce, then um, it seems a sort of bizarre thing in that sense. And I, I think you know it feels to me like an attempt for the club, the club to sort of retain some value uh, in Gale. Uh, if and when he finally goes, Gale also is able to sort of protect himself a bit in terms of his future. But it, as with most things, it I don't know. It feels a bit it feels a bit peculiar to me because he's barely pay, played this season, and so why why then extend the contract of that player? I mean, I, I think it's I think it's the I think it's as Chris says it at a time when they're going to have very limited money, it, it, so I think the theory will be that it somehow protects his value or it protects his value to them. But it's, in footballing terms, it doesn't really stack up. Oh, and on, on Rondon, I mean, it's not a, I mean, it's not really a sort of accurate comparison. I mean, they're not, I, I, it's not that they didn't reward. Yeah. It's not that they didn't reward Rondon. They just thought that at his age, spending 16 million quid and uh, paying high wages when he was, whatever he was, 29, um, 29 on 30, wasn't value for money. I mean, you know, that feels even more laughable now than it, than it does. Than it <laughs> when does you then. consider what they spent. When you consider what they spent on who, and we'd already seen <laughs> yeah. players like Almiron and Perez, who I know left, but improve from playing alongside Rondon for that season, particularly the second half of that season, how they all improved and how they all dovetailed together. And, you know, there's no point sort of turning back, turning back the clock, I guess, but it does make you think or wonder what it would have been like if, if, if Almiron and Rondon and St. Maxima, for example, had been able to play together last season, perhaps it wouldn't have been such a, such a struggle that they have this strange, um, I mean, it does relate to Gale in the sense that they have this very strange idea about value and valuations. Things changed a bit last summer because they sort of behaved in a more rational manner and and sort of attempted to mitigate against risk. But you know, you can you can you can have a value in the sense of what you do to your team and what you do to the team in terms of league placing and what you do for your teammates, how you improve them, how you bring them on. That was Rondon's value. He was never, they were never going to get their money, money back on him, but he, he would have improved the team. With regards to, to new contracts and players going out of contract and that kind of thing, Chris, Newcastle have got a couple of players who are, who are, whose deals are due to run out this summer as well. Uh, Fabian Scher and Federico Fernandez. Is, is that something that the club are likely to have a look at? Well, Fabian Sherm, I understand there's an option within the deal, which I think for another year, which I think will be exercised. Obviously, his injury is a big part for, for, of that as well, isn't it? Yeah. 
Um, but I think that, 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 yeah, that will be exercised. Federico Fernandez as well has been in talks and Steve Bruce, I think, wants to keep him. So I think there's a decent chance he will stay. Andy Carroll's an interesting one because if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I'd have said yeah. I would have been, I wouldn't have thought that he would stay. And again, there's the same sort of issues maybe that there's been with, with Dwight Gale and Steve Bruce in terms of being disaffected to a certain extent with his lack of football recently. But at the same time, for the same reasons as... as, as Newcastle don't necessarily want to, to spend on a replacement. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that, that Andy Carroll even stays. I think that one's slightly less likely, but I don't think it's 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 completely beyond the realms of possibility. Fair play. Uh, Dan Cochran asks, um, if Steve Bruce was sacked uh, at the end of the season or towards the end of the season, which available manager do you think could be the best fit uh, to manage Newcastle under the current conditions? Um, I mean, this is a difficult question. So, so, so the, the question is not necessarily right now. No, it's if if he was sacked, um, either at the end of the season or... Well, it says, which available manager do you think would be the best fit for Newcastle if Steve Bruce was sacked or left? Well, I mean, if Newcastle survive um, and aren't pulled into the relegation zone in the course of the next few weeks, then I don't think Steve Bruce is going to leave for a start. Um, Or at least I think it's going to take a change in direction from those above. I wrote last week how I think it's... it's, uh, incomprehensible that he would still be in charge come the start of next season given fans coming back but yeah. people at the club seem to think otherwise um, but if, if if there was to be a change under the current condition it's very difficult to know what, what, what managers would sort of accept the current conditions it was interesting to see the report last week suggesting that Chris Wilder would be interested in those sorts of in, in this sort of position and I suppose I can see I can see that although part of the reason why I left Sheffield United is because he wasn't quite happy with how things are being run and, and the ownership model above and I don't know he's in some ways a sort of traditional sort of manager and Newcastle don't want that or haven't seemed to want that that Steve Bruce is a head coach and that's a model that they've seemed to want so I, I think Chris Wilder wouldn't be the worst appointment ever in some ways we used to come, but also, I mean, Eddie Howe, I would be fascinated by because Eddie Howe has been sort of the really exciting one for the last few years. He hasn't, the jobs haven't come for him in the, in the course of the last six to eight months, which I think we all expected maybe that they did, they would, and maybe he expected more to come his way. Eddie Howe, left Bournemouth to go up to Burnley didn't like being away from that sort of area but he's he's obviously more experienced now is he going to get a, an opportunity the club bigger than Newcastle United I would say that's probably unlikely in the short term so I'd quite like to see how Eddie Howe if he was given the freedom to reshape the squad and to play in his sort of way that would be my concern with Eddie Howe is if Eddie Howe was told to come in and just use essentially what he's got and, and change things from there I'm sure he would improve some of the players but will he be able to really mould the team and do exactly what he wants I'd be sceptical about that but yeah I'd probably go for Eddie Howe although again it's a very very difficult question to answer Fair play Uh, Moving on George whose autobiography from the current squad would you be itching to read in the future or write even Oh absolutely none Um, (laughs) I I can't uh, I hate hate football autobiographies I have no interest in spending my time reading about um, really dull anecdotes, which they tend to be. There are yeah. a few. There are a few exceptions. I think if um, you know, if Andy Carroll told told the story properly, um, it, yes. it has a, it has the potential to be very entertaining. But I mean, none none aside from that. From previous, if, if you could, sorry, I was going to say, Chris, from from previous squads, I would love to. I would love to read a book by Jonas Gutierrez uh, talking about his his challenge and his story. And his time at the club, I think that would be a really interesting read. Chris, what do you reckon? Oh, yeah, I think Gutierrez would be, would be fascinating and obviously very emotional in many mm. ways. Um, in terms of the the book for you, I'd be itching to read. I don't think I'd necessarily want to write it because I'm not sure I could spend a lot of time in a room with Matt Ritchie where he'd get annoyed <laughs> at me. But if it, if it could if it could be yeah. just like a stream of Matt Ritchie consciousness, I think that would be fascinating to read just to like get an insight into how his mind actually works. I think that would be fascinating. It's not a book, that though, is it? Let's be honest. It's more like graffiti, that, isn't it? It's graffiti. Yeah, I'd read his graffiti. I'd read his work on oh, several walls, but that would be it. In terms of writing, in terms of writing one, I did... You know, I worked on Bobby's, so Bobby's last book, and that was such a stressful episode. I don't ever really want to do that again. Fair play. Right, let's move on a little bit now. We're gonna we're gonna do some nostalgia. We'll try and lighten the mood a little bit. Um, Dan Ria nineteen eighty four on Twitter has asked if you could bring one player back from any Newcastle United era to help us fight relegation. Who would it be, and why? I'm going to answer this first with my answer, which is I would love to drop. 
um, prime time Rob Lee into that midfield uh, and get him moving us forward with the ball a bit better uh, and joining in with the attacks. What about you, Chris? I mean, the obvious answer is Alan Shearer, obviously, yeah. in terms of the, the the greatest goal scorer the Premier League has ever seen. So that would be the obvious answer, a slightly less boring answer. Um, I think... Shola. Jonathan Woodgate in his prime. <laughs> Jonathan Woodgate in his prime, okay. Yeah, that would I, think, be I think someone calm and presence at the back, but also someone who could play it a little more and, and help Newcastle maybe get a little bit higher up the field from that part of the pitch. So I, th- I think I think I go Jonathan Woodgate. I'm not sure that naming a central defence defender makes you less boring than Alan Shearer. I think that makes it more boring than Alan Shearer. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> You're trying you to... know what I meant. So the problem with Newcastle is that they can't score goals. I mean, I know they're not very good at defending them either, but they can't score goals. They don't have a striker at the minute. And your answer is to bring in a centre half. That's as dull as fuck, Chris. Of course you bring in. <laughs> of course you bring in Alan Shearer oh. because prime time Alan Shearer is going to score five goals or six goals or seven goals before the end of the season. Even playing on this team, he'd do it on his own. Very true. So of course the answer is Shearer. The answer is Alan Shearer, isn't it? I was just trying to come up with something a little bit different. Chris, your answer is ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, that's bog. Sorry, that's bog. If they if they if they brought in Rob Lee Taylor, they'd end up playing up front, wouldn't they? In, in a false, uh, yes, false whatever Split striker. <laughs> so well, he started career up front though, didn't yeah. he? He started uh, on the wing. He started as a right winger. Wing. Yeah, he was a and winger. then he moved in the middle. And then yeah. I remember him playing up front for Newcastle in a European game. I can't remember. It might have been one of the Bilbao matches or or something like that. And he played up front because we we were struggling with with uh, with injuries. Um, but you know. I think he's a good all-round player, Rob Lee. I think he could do a job still. Oh, he's a great all-round player. Blimey. Very, very good. Okay, moving on. Um, this is a really simple one, this, Chris. Lauren Robert or David Ginola? Let's settle this for once. That's from Jack Lacey on Twitter. Well, I'm going to go controversial. And for me, it will be Lauren Robert. And I think that that's because I, gr- I don't have vivid memories of David Ginola at his very best. I've obviously subsequently seen and I think it's more to do with age, but Lauren Robert was really at that time when football was was becoming something I was I actually understood a little bit more. You could argue I don't understand it now still, but at least I, I became more aware of it anyway. And I just my my so my earliest football memories that I can clearly remember are Lauren Robert whipping mm. the ball in the box or firing outrageous shots from distance. So yeah. for me it would be Lauren Robert. George, what about you? Robert Ginola, what's the uh, where are you coming? Which side are you coming down on? Colour me shocked that Chris is wrong yet again. <laughs> um, no, it's Ginola, plain and simple. I mean, I think yeah. in some ways Robert was maybe more effective in some ways. So, but in terms of pure talent, I mean, I I always find it very difficult to sort of do these lists. I mean, clearly Shearer. I think Shearer is the best Newcastle striker. Uh, player that I've seen Beardsley in some ways is one of my favorites um Gaza is kind of the is the one who had the most effect on me in some ways but Ginola for sheer stardust I mean he was box creativity. office wasn't he Ginola box office. box office he was like you know he was like a film star and for six months I don't think I've seen a sort of I don't think I've got a favorite player for that sort of six months and he was just gorgeous he was gorgeous on the pitch he was gorgeous off it and he just did, you know, he did things with the football that that was difficult to sort of comprehend. I would say Ginola all day long. I mean, I agree with Chris in the sense that you are sort of, you are tempered by your own eras and, th- and things like that. But Ginola was just a magnificent beast and capable of destroying, destroying players. He had everything. He, had everything. he did. He did. I mean, I was lucky enough to to see them both over the, over the course of their careers and over my Newcastle fandom. Um, and and I have to say, Lauren Robert was one of those players who, um, and, and Ginola to, to the same extent was one. They were those players who made you get on as soon as they got the ball, you kind of sat up and took notice, weren't they? And and Robert smashing in free kicks from all angles. I mean, I love anyone who's prepared to have a shot from forty five yards because that's the way I approach football when I played it. Uh, and David Ginola, but I think David Ginola was one of the classiest footballers I've ever seen in my life on the ball. He was just pure class. Um, the way he, he used to glide around the pitch, um, you know, he, he, he wasn't the hardest worker in the world. He would sometimes, games would sometimes drift by him, but he could do something in an instant that would change a game. And, and I think those are the type of players that you remember, aren't they? They're, they're the ones. 
so for me, it's David Ginola as well. Right, moving on. Uh, Tom C on the app has asked, uh, given press conferences of late, I've been more than a little fractious. What's the most awkward press conference that Chris or George have attended? And Kinnear is not allowed. I'll answer first because George has got more experience in this in terms of longevity. And so I'm sure you'll have far better stories. I mean, for me, it would be the Steve McLaren famous final press conference, final pre-match press conference when he had an exchange with a journalist and then was ended up basically being almost chased out of the room. That was that was absolutely bizarre because it was one of those things I remember sitting at the back because the way that it works at Benton, the, the Newcastle don't have a proper press conference room. They've got what is a a room which has vending machines in it, which have to be turned off while the press conference is going on. And so the cameras are, the cameras are in the middle of the, of the room and, and, and we as written journalists would sit around on chairs around the back of the room. And I remember not really, you couldn't really comprehend what was going on at that moment when there was a sort of exchange going on. And then McLaren got up to, to leave the room. It was one of those things where it took you a little while to process it. And it's still, I'm still not sure I've quite processed it now. So that for me would be the, the most awkward press conference I've been involved in. Yeah, it's difficult to look beyond Kinnear, really. I mean, that was so astonishing. But, I mean, the thing is, every pretty much every press conference with him was was awkward. I mean, that sort of set that set the tone. I mean, there's just absolute kind of mountains of bullshit that um, that kind of came came out of those press conferences and um, you know famous things. I've probably talked about them before, but you know, we told a story about managing Tibet and claimed that you know amongst everything else you know claimed that he was manager when the um when the king or the prince regent whatever went mad and murdered all his family and um he had 24 kenya had 24 hours to get out of the country and it i I kind of went home to start doing a bit of research on this and he you know he was at wimbledon by then or luton by then and it was like it was 20 it was 20 years later and he was always saying things like you know this week it's d-day d-day for the takeover or d oh god takeover that takeover god it's been going on i feel so fucking old um but um you know Shearer's waiting around the corner with kevin keegan waiting to come back in and stuff like that and it was a good lesson actually a good lesson as a journalist to that you can't actually write stuff um you can't write stuff from a press conference and present it as fact that, you know, you have to say Joe Kinnear has claimed that or, you know, Steve Bruce has claimed that. You can't just repeat something that they say as fact because... Was there a story about Nepal or something as well that he's, he's told, which wasn't true? I've literally just told that story. Except oh, I said, sorry, except, I except I said Tibet. I've, I've literally just told that story. That was then turned into a film starring Brad that, Pitt. Out. Seven, seven years in Tibet and then went to Luton, I believe, is the, the full title of that film. Yeah. <laughs> every, every press conference with Roy Keane was awkward, but it was pretty sensational. There were loads of ones with Mick McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, loads. But uh, no, you can't look beyond Kinnear. I've got to tell you, honest to God, I've done it before. It's going to my f***ing lawyers. So is about three other stuff. It's going to them. And if they can f***ing find something here that's a court case, it's going to court. I'm not This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Lovely stuff. Right. Um, at Bullyboy1972 has asked, what, what attribute do you like in a player more than anything else and who epitomised it while playing for us? Chris? Um, oh, that's, a, that's quite a question. What attribute do you like in a player more than anything else? Who is a pit? I would say that um, I just like... what I, I, The player who I always found astonishing whenever he came on the pitch, this all be the short times at Newcastle, was Duncan Ferguson and just that ability to just make the opposition absolutely crap themselves. Yeah. And I've never... And, and I mean, there's been a few... Newcastle had a few strikers like that, but but but... For Ferguson, yeah, it was just pure and utter intimidation. And you could just look at a centre-back and you could see the centre-back and just go, oh, Jesus, I don't want to be out on this pitch today. Yeah. So I think that I, 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 whether that's my favourite ever attribute, I'm not sure, but I, that is something that immediately sticks in the mind of something which just thought, wow, wow, that's quite incredible. Yes. George, what about you? Uh, just decent at football. It's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's not much to ask, is it? But it's, yeah, I mean I've always I've always loved a player with with a bit of adventure uh, and a player who would kind of take risks. I think those are the type of players that I like to see. So I I, I love Adam and Arthur and, and and watching Peter Beardsley. But of course, the most important uh, attribute to have as a footballer is versatility, and therefore I'm going to say James Perch. Um, I actually thought you were going to say slide and tackle. I know you like a slide and tackle. I do too. love a slide and tackle, especially a Paul Dummett slide and tackle, which ends with the the right winger being put into the East Stand. That's always one of my favourite Isaac things. Hayden is the current Newcastle's king of sliding tackles, sure. Well, I'm not going to argue with you, George, because I know you and no, but I think you have is. a bit of a thing about is. Isaac, but I think he he's is. very good think- at them, isn't he? I think I think I think sort of one one of the great things about Newcastle's history, even when the team have been bad, is that there's always been a player to sort of latch, you know, to to hang your hat on. And so for a long time, it was someone like Shearer because he was with us for ten years. But you know, going back, going further back, you know, there was a Beersley, there was a Gasgate, there was a Waddle, there was a Keegan. And I think the sad thing is that we haven't had that kind of player for a long time now. I mean, the you know, there are certain players in the in the current squad that you could say could become that player, whether it's St. Maxima or Wilson. But the problem under Ashley, and we've had those players before, by the way, under Ashley, but they've gone or they've not stayed very long. Kabai is a good, is a good example of that. Someone who, you know, you feel like could become something very special, but because of the way the clubs run, um, he's only ever going to be here for a limited period of time and then it gets messy at the end. And, you know, and so we haven't had that sort of player that you could hang your hat on. I mean, what do I want from a player? It's not just one thing. I want to see I want to see the player give a shit. I want to see the player try. I want to see that, you know, exude through every single pore of their being. And I want them to be good. You know, I want them to be good. That's what I want. Fair play. Um, Stephen M put a question in and he's asked about nine different parts of this question. But the very last part of the question was was the bit that struck me the most. Um, we've been through a lot of the other stuff in the past. But his last part of his question was, what three things do you miss most about football, Chris? Um, people. Yeah. I think is the obvious one. Other, other people, it's... <laughs> <laughs> winning yeah but that, that, that's got nothing to do with the pandemic that's, that's just to do with uh, <laughs> that's just you, you get that comes with the territory of, of following Newcastle United um, and the third thing the the noise yeah the noise and that that moment where you almost caught it actually it's almost the moment before the noise say if the ball when the ball hits the back of the net and you know the noise is coming I think that sort of anticipation of that so those those three things would be my first because it is a communal for me football's always been communal and unfortunately over the course of last year it obviously hasn't been George you've written about this recently haven't you what what, what three things do you miss the most about football have I I'm sure yeah didn't you do a thing about not going well, to the game well you did the year stuff? without fans so that you did about going to the game oh yes like the match day ritual yeah um well, yeah, just that. Um, no, I mean, but that. I mean, the whole point of that is is that it's about people. Yeah, no, it's the same thing. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting way of putting it. What do I miss most about football? I mean, football is hasn't stopped. Football's still here. I mean, football hasn't gone anywhere. It's the bits but, that aren't football that but, you miss, isn't it? But, oh yeah, I mean, I miss. <laughs> I mean, I I could I could you know I I miss football. I miss the idea of what football is because Newcastle haven't played that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. But but. I mean, it's all about those things that Chris talked about. It's the things on it's the things on the periphery 
but which are actually integral to it. And, um, you know, I was, I was, I haven't, obviously I haven't been on the pod since going to Brighton and, you know, sort of being, being there and that just miserable, shitty little experience. I know that I'm duty bound to say that I'm lucky to, to have gone in. And I know, you know, I, I, I kind of, I have to say that, but I genuinely don't feel it. I don't feel lucky to be there because it breaks my heart every time I go into an empty stadium and particularly St. James's, but um, you know, it's nothing without people. And so you, you, uh, Chris, that's a very nice way of putting it, Chris, that sort of, you know, that sound of silence before, before the eruption of noise. It's, it's, it's that you miss that you miss the meaning of it when it's just people wandering around in the mid distance. It means nothing. It's, it, it's meaningless. And it, you know, if you watch it on telly, there's more meaning watching it on telly because you either have the crowd noise or you're watching, looking at Twitter or you're, you know, you're doing something to make it a communal event. Whereas actually in the stadium at the moment, there's nothing communal about it. And, you know, you miss the noise. I miss the idea of going to the pub afterwards. I don't do that because I'm usually working. So, but I miss the idea of it and I want to do that. Um, you know, I want it to be me and you, Taylor, at West Brom, sitting standing next to each other having a laugh talking about what we're seeing not actually knowing what the fuck's happening on the pitch but experiencing something for me as a as a fan it's the it's it's the half an hour before kickoff and the half an hour directly after the game finishes those that's the that's the the top the portion of time that i miss the most in the half an hour before you've got all the excitement and the and the anticipation of what could possibly come you've got the build up the talk and the the teams announced everyone's talking about that you know the drinks are flowing um there's always an element of of optimism with a little bit of trepidation depending on who newcastle are playing and then the hour the half an hour afterwards which is the you know break it all down what the hell happened you're back in the pub again you've got another pint in your hand uh, and you're catching up with people you're seeing people you maybe haven't seen for a little while those are the bits that I miss the most and like Chris says it's, it, it comes down to people doesn't it it's it's people who you know uh, and people who share that experience with you and that is what I miss the most about it ties us back to the question about you know what do we think about crowds when when NF football comes back and how it comes back I and mean, it's it's whether you know whether the football itself is enough to bring people back and it's it's not and whether you know whether getting out of that routine of doing it makes you think well actually I could just go to the pub with my mates and we can talk we can talk shit or maybe people won't want to go back to the pub either you know that's the other, you know that is the other thing i think we also to think there's going to be this huge explosion of of people mixing again but for a lot of people life is going to have changed you know forever yeah uh right moving on uh, we're into a section um here which i've just entitled silly bollocks because there was a lot of stuff like this came in Stuart s has asked how is the bacon and i'm going to answer that by saying it has been in the fridge now for 13 years uh it's covered in mold you wouldn't even recognize it as bacon anymore all the bacon wants is to be made part of a lovely bacon sandwich potentially covered in brown or ketchup sauce ketchup sauce that's not a thing tomato sauce <laughs> so the bacon is the bacon's knackered basically that's 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 the answer to that question um if it's ketchup you can count me out <laughs> <laughs> Liam H has asked favourite Easter egg and I would have to say on this I'm, I'm a fan of a cream egg George what about you? Yeah I wish I wasn't a fan of cream eggs because they're terrible for you and it's yeah, palm oil which is terrible for the planet and, it is. but they are delicious They certainly are Chris Easter eggs for you what do you like? Yeah, probably probably say, I don't yeah, like I really Easter don't. eggs. I like kale or something. Well, you know which ones? You know which ones I don't like. I don't like Nestle Easter eggs. I always think they're horrible. Oh right, there you go. I was disappointed. I'm, by I'm going to. I know we're running over, but I, I was, <laughs> I was running in a foreign city. It was actually New York. I think I was there for the New York Marathon. So I'm not trying to be like big time there, but I ran. There was a, another fella, and I was. It was. I had jet lag, and I was out running a couple of days before the marathon just to stretch my legs. And there was a fella running in front of me who had a T-shirt on that said. Fuck kale. <laughs> and I've always wanted, I yes. quite like kale, but I do want one of those t-shirts. I, I have similar emotions towards spinach, to be honest. I think it's oh, a no, pointless, I no, pointless I love vegetable. I like spinach. No, I love spinach. It's what you do with spinach that counts. You can't do anything with it. You put it in a pan, it disappears. It's pointless. Mix it. Okay, here's a little recipe for you. Get a shitload of spinach. <laughs> when you it, say shitload, drain, you mean like a, a truck full like a, 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 a kilogram, a kilo of spinach, right? Blanch <laughs> right. it very quickly, drain it, drain all the moisture out as much as you can, beat a couple of eggs, uh, three or 400 millilitres of cream, a shitload of Parmesan, mix that all together, put it in the oven, bake spinach, it will change your life. 
40 minutes. Well, there you go, listeners. George's Cookery Corner will be back next week. Um, okay, Christopher Jones, Plastic Percy on Twitter has asked, I like this, how much of an analogy on a scale of one, one not at all, to 10, absolutely nailed on for NUFC under Ashley and Bruce, Bruce's tenure is the stuck ship in the Suez Canal? Is there a better possible analogy for Newcastle United than that fucking boat stopping, <laughs> stopping everything? Uh, Chris, what are you reckon? I think it's an ideal one, yeah. I'd say probably a nine because it's in terms of the, the purgatory Newcastle United are in and, the, and they're being stuck in that position. Yeah, I think it, I think it's brilliant. I thought it was funny when uh, when people were putting that out there. The other and we so as I fans, very much agree with that. We as fans are the are the three hundred other boats backed up in the Suez Canal waiting to see what's going to happen, aren't we? <laughs> no, I'm I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. It's a one because the ship has come loose. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, you're so literal. Anyway, uh, finally, let's just end up on this one. I think, <laughs> I don't think there's a better question to end on. Uh, Capital G5000, that's an interesting uh, username. Capital G5000 has simply asked, why do we bother? Chris, why do we bother? Uh, that, that's the unanswerable question. That is the £305 million question, as uh, our producer Ollie has put on the on the running order we have here. Yeah, there is... It's 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 interesting because when we talk about fans not being a city, I suppose that's the thing is this that like you just turn up because that's what you've always done. Whereas now it's like people are still emotionally engaged with it, and yet really it's not the same sort of situation. So it's just it, it's it's what it's what people do. It just is part of you. So I can't. Yeah, that's an unanswerable question, really. George, why do we bother? Well, what else would we talk about? That's very true. I mean, there's there's a reason why we bother, isn't there? It's because we have to, because we do this. Well, um, I'm contractually obliged, yes. Contractual, <laughs> contractual obligations, I suppose, is the actually accurate. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't that be the same for the team as well? Aren't they, they are obliged to fulfil football games? Yes, so. contractually obliged to fulfil fixtures. Um, but that, again, I mean, so we're laughing at that, but that you know, the people who aren't contractually <laughs> obliged are supporters. And so obviously there's the contract of a, of a season ticket, but that contract worth, works both ways. And I think the, th- the feeling is, is that, you know, why should I do this anymore when I'm getting nothing back from the club? I and mean, in terms of life-affirming, you know, life-affirming, uh, feelings and you know that that whole sense of the football getting away on what could be another. So I mean that is the, the, the you know there was a genuine serious question there, um, and it very much relates to to those other topics that we've talked about about what we miss and how many people will still be there when we get back. And um, the fact that people are even asking that question is a sort of is a da- is a dangerous one. You know it's a danger it's a dangerous one for a football club. It is. Well, chaps, we're going to wrap things up there. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and thanks for your honest answers uh, with all those questions that have come in. And thank you to the listeners as well and the people on the app and the people on Twitter who uh, who put questions into us. Thanks a lot for getting involved in this. And I'm sorry if we didn't get around to your question, but we had so many to get through and we've run over quite a lot anyway with what we've covered. But thanks a lot for getting involved. Um, we're going to be back very soon uh, with another edition of Pod on the Time. Make sure you get yourself on to the website and check out all the articles from George and Chris and everybody else. And remember, if you hit the subscribe button on your podcast provider, you will get every single episode. Thank you very much. Once again, chaps, it's been fun. We shall speak soon. Look after yourselves. Take care out there. And we shall be back very shortly. Bye-bye. Athletic.